Welcome to another episode of the Hat Collecting Talk Show, where we talk about the many different ep- the many different metaphorical hats that people wear in their lives, because no one does just one thing, and everyone has a story. I am your host, Lacey Artemis, a creative Jill of many trades, and I am joined today by Khadijah, aka Cosmic Venus, who is a tattoo artist, a DJ and music producer, and an artist and model, and I'm sure many other things, because I know Khadijah from the past, so I have a little bit of uh, insight there. Um, Khadija's pronouns are she and her for the listeners, and um, welcome to the show, Khadija. Hi, Lacey. It's awesome <laughs> to be here. Thanks so much for having me, and hi to everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is really exciting. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so I was, as I said, I, I knew, I know Khadija Cosmic Venus from uh, about ten years ago. Uh, we met through oh, an event yeah. that you co-ran, and uh, I remembered you kind of randomly because I was thinking about just these interesting um cross sections of things that people do or have done and i knew that you had studied was it was it astronomy I, i'm sorry i forgot again <laughs> i was actually intending on going to university for astronomy and astrophysics before i started the events company and the feminist porn company <laughs> right yeah so so astronomy and feminist porn are things i would not have thought to you know intersect in one person but i was like that's just so cool <laughs> Thank and you, you, you've worn yeah. so many hats since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, actually, it's really interesting. Astronomy and astrophysics was my was my coping mechanism for my teenage depression, actually, mm. because I felt like in all of the things that I could study in the world, I had to study everything so I could understand the entire universe. And if I couldn't figure out that and not feel happy with my life, then I didn't understand what the purpose of life was at all. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Um, so uh, the the icebreaker for the show, we, we've already kind of already kind of broken the ice, but I like to start by asking, uh, where did you grow up? I was born in Brampton, Ontario, but I moved to Toronto when I was about one with my mom. Um, and I've lived all over Toronto. I've lived in North York in community housing. I've lived in East York in beautiful homes. I've lived in the West End since then. I've just kind of been all over the place. I lived in Little India for a little while when I was really young. Um, hmm. So yeah, kind of in and out all over Toronto. Okay. And so the sub-question with that uh, that I usually ask, and I, I guess I'm not sure how you might answer it because we're both uh, Toronto um, regulars. Um, but do you think that, that growing up here in Toronto has had any, um, lasting influences that if you went somewhere else would still kind of stick with you besides not pronouncing the second R in Toronto (laughs) or the second Uh T rather? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny you say that because I was actually thinking about that as I was saying, and I was like, this is such a Toronto thing to say. Um, lasting impressions. I feel like I feel like growing up in a big city definitely shaped me in a lot of ways. It shaped me regarding my social structures. It shaped me regarding my constant need for creativity in my life. It shaped me regarding my comfort and my ability to take on many different forms of income and many different forms of of work. And as an entrepreneur, it really shaped me in that respect too, because when you live in a city so big, it's so easy to do what you really want to do and really feel like you have the freedom to actually do so because there are so many people doing so many things, you know, you can just, you can just 
find yourself in something simple and easy if you want to, but you can also really take the chance and really go for it because there are so many people who would love to support you as a creative person and who really want to be in your atmosphere and who really want to be in your energy and and who want to see you grow and really become something. There are so many community hubs and networks that you can become a part of in a city that really allows you to flourish in ways that you might not in a smaller town or you might not anywhere else. And I feel like that... That desire for connection is something that's really stayed with me, even as I've traveled in different places and I've seen different things. And I feel like I always want to find those like beautiful, gritty underground artist communities where people are sharing raw from their soul. And then I also, I also at the same time, you know, I'm greatly influenced by living in a big city in the sense that, you know, one of my one of my greatest guilty pleasures has always been high fashion. And with that, I I feel like that's something that I gain more exposure of living in a city. You know, and I that's actually kind of funny because my my DJing practice um, has definitely been something influenced by that for sure. One of my really good friends, his name is his DJ name is Mix Chopin. But <laughs> my buddy Mickey, he was music director of Fashion Week a couple years ago. And I find that uh, it's been such an interesting journey because he's taught me so much in my DJing practice. And I wouldn't have met him if I didn't live in Toronto in such an urban sprawl area where there's so much happening. You can literally be living downstairs from someone who does amazing things and not realize it for six months. And then all of a sudden you realize it and you're like, am I really living this life? <laughs> like, am I really doing this? And it's so cool. It's so cool. So I feel, I feel like living in Toronto has definitely opened me up to the reality of, of anything being possible. You know, mm. that's definitely Absolutely. something that I'm grateful for in this city. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> relate to that. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like, this is the the one sort of, I guess, big issue with Toronto is, as we kind of all know, the Toronto people know is that it's getting more and more difficult to be here for, you know, the cost of rent wise and other costs of living. But it's hard for me to imagine not living here anymore, because as you said, like, I know people who have moved to like Hamilton or London, Ontario, or other places, and they just become so disconnected from everything, because there's just not the same community and culture in these other places yeah. yeah definitely definitely that's a real thing my mom actually moved out to Barry with her previous partner um about seven years ago and I feel like she left Toronto because she really wanted to find more peace and more connection with nature which was something mm -hmm. I fully understand and I also feel like what she wound up finding, especially during the pandemic, was that it became more and more congested. It became more and more, you know, uncomfortably urbanized. It became more and more gentrified in ways that were just not actually comfortable for her. So she wound up moving to Oshawa recently, actually, which was really interesting. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, even during the pandemic, I feel like, I feel like most of my friends, a lot of my friends, not most of them, a lot of them, a good chunk of them, bought one-way tickets to South America and Mexico <laughs> and just left. And we're like, cities are too much. We need to be in the nature. We need to be close to Pachamama. We need to be close to medicine. We need to be close to the earth. And that was such a great move too because, you know, it is, it is definitely, definitely difficult in this current climate to do things you really want to be doing. But I also feel like in a way 
this current climate is really encouraging to do what you really want to do as well, because you only have so many choices right now. You know, it's not like you can just go and get a job at a cafe because the yeah. cafe already has their employees and they're only open half the time. <laughs> so yeah. what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to start to do what you really want to do. And I, I really love looking at the pandemic. I love looking at things as blessing in disguises. And I, I know that it's difficult and I've gone through my own challenges as well. Like working as a freelance tattoo artist I'm grateful to have my home studio because if I didn't have my home studio, I wouldn't be working and I would be so unhappy and I would be struggling. But because I do have that, I do still have the freedom to pursue everything I want to pursue. And I feel like it's just because I've, I've always been driven and motivated to not listen to anyone else's idea of what I should do, regardless of where I am. And... I feel because of that, it's become really helpful in this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah so well, I, I, yeah. I, I relate to everything that you're saying, which is a, a common occurrence <laughs> with my guests on this show. I guess like attracts like. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I'm going to take this moment to do our land acknowledgement, as I do on each episode. Uh, Toronto, or Tecoronto, is located on the traditional unceded territories of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nation, the Huron-Wendat, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Anishinaabe. This is a Dish with One Spoon Treaty territory, and we are uninvited visitors on this land. Um, to learn more about that, uh, where you grew up or where you currently live, you can go to native-land.ca, which covers the whole world and not just Canada. So you can learn about treaties and the actual Indigenous uh, groups and all that kind of stuff. So it's a great place to get started uh, in your learning journey. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now you, you had, uh, if, you, if you don't mind me mentioning this in your notes yeah. that you provided me, yeah, you mentioned that you are native yourself. I didn't know that. I, yeah, I am. I'm Ojibwe on my mom's side of the family, actually, which is amazing. Um, my great, great grandfather was actually an Ojibwe chief. <laughs> mm. So, by technical terms, genetically, historically, descendantly, I'm a princess, which is kind of exciting. That's very cool. <laughs> Isn't it cool? Yeah, I always really liked that fact about myself. I really, really loved that. Ever since I was a kid, my mom was always reminding me, you're a princess, you're really a princess. Like, you're really a princess. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Um, and, um, yeah, I have some family living on the reserves in Sault Ste. Marie. Um, I, I was never really very close to a lot of my Ojibwe family growing up just because, you know, due to colonialism and shifting cultural structures, there was a lot of struggle around, um, mental health and alcohol and substance abuse addiction, um, and on that side of my family, just because that's what happens when you take a beautiful, natural, amazing culture and then put it in a box and torture it until it doesn't exist anymore, right? And, um, and that's something that I, I really, really do take pride in. And it's something that I, I really like. I like to tell people and I like to remind people of because even though I have a very, very mixed background in a lot of other ways, my, my native background is actually a very strong part of my blood lineage. And it's something that I, I feel is really special and I feel is, is really important. And, um, and I like wearing with pride. I actually recently gave myself, I don't know if you can see it, yeah, I can I see it. myself an Ojibwe tribal tattoo. Yeah, and it was a really big commitment for me because I, I, I mean, as a tattoo artist, you know, your body is your work, right? And mm -hmm. your art is your work. And 
for me, tattooing is such a spiritual practice, and I definitely like to explore my blood roots and my ancestry in my tattooing practice. And this one was was like, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put something bold on my face, and it's gonna be a very big honoring of my lineage and my heritage and my history. So that way, everyone looking at me will know, and if they don't know, they might ask, and we can have that conversation. And I like having that conversation because. <clears throat> I always felt like it was a shame even how disconnected I was from my own roots growing up. And I mean, I appreciate and I love all cultures and everything that I've ever been a part of. And, you know, part of my life as a yoga teacher has been understanding how to integrate everything into one oneness, into one practice, into unity. You know, yoga means union. And that's something that I really do cherish. And I feel like, I feel like there's so much beauty in knowing where things come from and how to live with the land. That's such an important thing. And I mean even even during even during these pandemic times, you know, if you look at if you look at native legends and you look at native elders, they've all predicted everything that's happening now. Everything is, has been there. The Hopi legends have said everything that's happening now and their advice is to not watch so much television. Don't don't watch the news so much because you're just going to put yourself in an anxious cycle. Reconnect with the earth and start a garden. And truly, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, simple way of grounding your spirit, grounding your mental health, grounding your body, remembering the cycles of the earth that actually exist, and really living with that. When you when you really take the time to connect with those simple things like planting a garden, you start to notice things like how the soil reacts in different environments, where things actually want to grow, what the sunlight is like at different points in the season, what's best for what in the season, what, what rain and natural disaster can actually do, what a good growing season is actually like. And when we start to learn how to slow down and pay attention to the cycles of nature, we actually see our own cycle than that because we are nature and that's something that's a very important thing to remember <laughs> hmm. I'm, I'm curious uh, what age did you learn of this uh, heritage of yours you my mom was always telling me always oh okay. okay yeah yeah. Okay. Because I know, I know some people they they learn, you know, that they might have like a distant like king, like royalty in their family when they're in like you know maybe their twenties or thirties, and they just happen to hear about it. So, yeah. 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 No. Ever since I was really little, I remember when I was like three or four, my mom took me out for Halloween, and I also have Indian and Egyptian in my family side as well on my biological father's side, and. So so she dressed me up for Halloween that year, and I wanted to be a princess. So I was an Indian Egyptian native princess, and that was my costume. But it was also just who I actually am, which was really cool. <laughs> That's awesome when you get to just dress up as yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, right. So, Every time I'm a witch, I'm like I'm I'm just myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, we'll, we'll, we can talk about maybe some of the misconceptions because I always love asking my guests about the misconceptions about the things that they do. So maybe we can do the, the main oh, yeah. things that you do, the, the tattoo artistry. Um, actually I'll let you pick, maybe we'll pick three things and you can sure. address what you think are the biggest misconceptions about each. Ooh. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, 
we can definitely ask about tattooing because that's relevant and exciting. And I know that you're interested in that. So let's definitely do that. And uh, I mean, we can also ask about yoga because I feel like that one is socially, culturally relevant with so many people having this practice and so many conversations about misappropriation in this practice as well. Um, and I mean, dealer's choice, we can pick the third one. There are many things that I've done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So let, let's start with those two and then I'll, I'll pick one after that. <laughs> awesome. We'll see where it goes. Amazing. Okay. So let's start with the tattooing. What do you think is the biggest yeah. misconception about that? Oh, biggest misconception about tattoo artists is that we're all jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Is that we're all horribly sadistic, maniacal jerks who just like to inflict pain on people for our own capitalist pleasure. Lies. <laughs> <sighs> oh, I, I've never heard that, but I mean, you, you would know better than I would, certainly. <laughs> it's a thing. I feel like so many people are intimidated by tattoo artists because they know what they do and they assume it's this like very intense, like dark culture or this very intense, like egotistical, pretentious culture. I, um, when I first started my tattooing practice uh, about five years ago, um, I, uh, I, I experienced some interesting energy from people who I was around who were very much also wanting to get into that culture as well. But there was just so much like, if I'm going to do that, I have to do it like this. Or if I'm going to do that, I have to become this like tough badass. And I personally recognize tattooing to be an ancient shamanic blood ritual practice it's a very spiritual practice it's a very you know as far as i'm concerned like a dark i don't want to use the word feminine but like a dark esoteric practice you know like it's a very it's a very deep spiritual growth practice it's an initiation and a ritual and it's something that is very sacred you know, one of the one of the most famous and oldest tattoo artists in the entire world is her name is Wang Odd, and she's a Filipino woman who's about a hundred and hundred and five. She's old. She's wildly old, and she's amazing. And she does traditional Filipino kalinga, and it's all inspired by nature. And they they tattoo designs inspired by the leaves and the, the lines in the earth and the bugs and the insects around them in the earth. And it's just such a beautiful sacred practice. And she uses a filtered, filtered mountain water, I believe, or spring water and ashes, natural ashes to create the tattoo ink and then takes you through a whole ritual. A friend of mine actually has a tattoo from her across his chest, which is beautiful. When I saw it, I felt so honored to just be in the presence of one of her pieces because she recognizes the sacredness of the practice. But I feel like one of the biggest misconceptions that people have is that tattooing is this big machismo egotistical thing, which is not unreasonable to some degree because, you know, when I was younger and I wanted to be a tattoo artist, my dad told me I shouldn't because most of the tattoo studios were run by the Hells Angels. Well, that, that's what I'm thinking of in my head because, like, I know, like, you know, in theory, anyone can become a tattoo yeah. artist. And so you've got this very wide range of personalities and, and kind of kinds of people who can be yeah. doing the same practice. So there's so many different yeah. ways for it to like manifest. But yeah. we're used to seeing, you know, inked on TV, which, you know, the big like biker guys. But then I know people who are queer disabled people who yeah. do tattooing as well. And it's a very different thing. 
Exactly, exactly. And I feel like that a lot of that has to do with empowered culture change. <clears throat> you know, a whole generation of people realizing that I can own this too and it doesn't have to belong to one group of people. We can share this stage and it can be a part of my life as well. And it is an initiation and it is an empowering process. And I do feel, you know, I completely understand how how biker gang culture really integrated into that and became a sect of its own that became a very controlling atmosphere and a fearful thing. You know, when you look at the way, the dynamic way in which the history of the Hells Angels, for instance, and native cultures have such a beautiful interconnected relationship back when um, indigenous people were being harbored on reserves and weren't able to deliver messages to each other, the Hells Angels would basically deliver messages back and forth and they became this beautiful synchronous group of people together and it's just unfortunate that it became such a, a violent and fearful experience but um i feel like i feel like as we as people discover things like feminism and discover things like self-empowerment and we really start to have conversations around our mental health and our self-awareness and discover practices even like yoga that teach us devotion and peace and unity we start to we start to become curious about practices that would have otherwise been put off to a specific group of people and we start to realize why we're drawn to these things as well and you know, pain is a practice that is a transcendent practice. Pain is a very meditative practice. And it also shows you your strength. And I feel like, you know, the queer disabled tattoo artist is someone who's gone through a lot of pain and who has found a lot of strength and empowerment just out of sheer will and the necessity of having to, to just survive. And Tattooing is a beautiful way to wear that on your skin and to show people without having to necessarily say words. And I really, really respect and appreciate that practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So since you brought up yoga there, um, what do you think is the biggest (laughs) misconception about yoga? Mm, I think the biggest misconception about yoga is that... Huh. It's a very interesting thing, actually, because yoga, ironically, I feel is quite a controversial thing sometimes. There's a lot of discussion about um, representation within yoga and, you know, whitewashing of the yoga practice or appropriation of Indian culture. And I understand both sides, which is a really weird place to be in. And I feel like the only reason why I understand both sides is because I have been practicing for 10 years and my practice has been very rooted in traditional practice and so much of the traditional practice is about integration of everyone regardless of identity and holding space for people's exploration regardless of what their past is or what their background is or where they are at that moment you know you you're present with where you are at that moment and you welcome someone into the practice because you recognize the practice is more important than the ego you know Mm -hmm. and that's something that I feel gets gets a little lost perhaps in conversation a lot of the time and I, I recognize that it gets lost because it is a practice that was accessed a lot by brought to the West by, you know, Western white folks who had the money to go and travel to India and bring back the practice. And it's unfortunate that, that is the truth, but 
I mean, at the same time, those people became one with the Indian culture when they did so. And that's something that is an essential part of the yoga practice is the becoming and the unbecoming of one's identity. And so, you know, I have my, my two, my two yoga gurus really, Ron, um, Ron Reed and Marla Minakshua Joy. She's, uh, they're both, um, amazing, amazing yoga teachers. They were their co-founders. They're co-founders of Downward Dog Yoga Studio that used to be located at Bathurst in Queen and is now located at Ossington in Queen in Toronto. They're my favorite studio in Toronto and I always knew that I was going to do my training there with them when I actually did. <clears throat> and they collectively have been back and forth to India studying yoga for the last 30 years in and out of ashrams and doing amazing devotional service practice. You know, you listen to Marla's chanting her mantras and it just puts you in this other world and you just go into this place for your vibration is so high it doesn't matter nothing matters except this beautiful oneness and I feel like that's a space where especially people who struggle in their identity crisis as visible minorities really benefit from remembering that it doesn't matter and that you're just who you are and you are this beautiful being of light those moments are so sacred and so precious to just heal and release and to be. So that way when you do come back into the world where you are faced with it mattering, you can do so with more compassion for yourself and more compassion for the person next to you who might not understand because you remember that they're just caught up in a game and that game has made them hard and broken. And that's the only reason why they don't understand, you know? And I feel like it's such a, it's my, it's my, it's one of my favorite, it's really my favorite spiritual practice next to plant medicine. I feel like it's my favorite spiritual practice because it's so, <clears throat> it's so unconditionally embracing and it's so loving and its whole purpose is just to generate more love and more light and more acceptance and, uh, more compassion and I just I think that that's something that everyone needs <laughs> you know it's just something that everyone needs and yeah I uh yeah I'm really grateful for my teachers both of whom are like you know white people <laughs> and I'm like I learned so much from you and it's because I'm able to see myself. And you know, what's actually kind of funny is that I actually, I actually won a scholarship for being a, a visible minority um, oh. with that studio because they were offering that and it was amazing. And I gave them all of my information. I told them that the reason why I had never been able to afford my certification was because of my family background and my history and never being, you know, a lot of, a lot of financial gain in life and just having to really work hard and work my butt off to get everything that I needed. And, um, and that, that, uh, that was something I was really blessed with, which I'm really grateful for. And, you know, even though it felt, <clears throat> it truly felt a little ironic to me in a way, because I know that the seed of the practice is about letting go of identity. It felt funny that winning the scholarship was about my identity. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the paradox is that we are divine and we are of the world at the same time and recognizing the balance and having gratitude for what happens in this cycle of dharma is really truly so much a part of it so 
it's all about balance. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to check in with you about the the timing because um, where I'm I'm kind of like letting this flow more, and so usually I'm like much more strictly on the thing. And I just want to make sure if you have like a hard out time that I can kind of prioritize uh, questions. Okay. No. I'm okay. S- I'm certainly flexible. I'm certainly flexible. <laughs> okay, cool. No, just yeah. so I, I actually had a conversation with my roommate the other day because I was saying like I do follow the questioning pretty uh, strictly. Usually, it's more for my own sake because my ADHD. Yeah. Like, if I just try to just do a conversation, then it'll it'll be tangent city. Um, yeah. So just like you know, try try letting it just be a little bit more of a conversation. It's like kind of flow a bit more. And it's like okay, I'm gonna try that. So, um, and I think you're the perfect uh, person to start this with. So. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I guess the, the next question, the next official question that I'm curious to hear answer about, um, do you remember what, uh, if you had a childhood dream, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a ballerina. <laughs> hmm. I don't think I've gotten that answer yet. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a ballerina, but I never took a dance class ever. <laughs> well, a lot of my guests have had that kind of thing where they're like, oh, this just seems really cool, but then they never got involved with it in any way. And I, yeah. I guess I was like that too, because I one of the things I wanted to be when I grew up was a firefighter, and I never got anywhere close to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So it's always an interesting thing to feel like, oh, what what did you where did you start of like what you kind of envisioned for yourself and then like where did you actually end up? And sometimes yeah. that's that that path is very fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm kind of glad that I never wound up becoming a ballerina in some ways because I feel like I feel like dancers especially face so much stigma around body image so much discrimination around body image and I mean it's ironic because like I model and I really enjoy that atmosphere as well and I mean even in even in western yoga culture when we start getting into the more consumerist capitalist aspect of how people are marketing things there's a lot of that oftentimes as well but um, I feel like I feel like shedding that is such an active work in so many other fields. And I feel like dance is one of those things where, especially ballet, because you're lifting people and you're throwing them into the air and you have to be light on your toes. And it's such a pressure. It's such a pressure. And I recognize that it is a pressure that is on some levels perceived as practical, but it's also one of those things where you're just kind of like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of stress for that art. It's a beautiful art and I fully respect it and I think it's amazing and I feel like dancers are incredible, incredible, efficiently amazing athletes, but uh, I'm glad it's not a pressure that I face in that way because that would be like so traumatizing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... Another question. I'm, I'm going to bounce around a little bit here. I'm kind of experimenting a bit with the uh, the questions, um, but I'm curious to ask you with your very your very varied experience um, when you were just getting out of uh, your your like uh, college or university. Um, what is something that you wish that you had known, kind of going out into the world for the first time? You know, what's funny is that even though I wanted to study astronomy and astrophysics, and I did actually begin that process, I never followed through with it because I realized I didn't want to do math all the time for the rest of my life. (laughs) 
that's a good thing to figure out. Right? So I just was like, I'm good. Don't worry. It's all good. Um, and I actually never wound up going to college or university because it just didn't, oh. it didn't really fit with my lifestyle. And, um, and I'm actually, I'm grateful for that in so many ways because I, I became an entrepreneur. I spent some time, I thought about it. I considered it. I was going to go to Ryerson for fashion photography and journalism. I considered that. And, um, I even considered going out to UBC to study as well because they had a really good, you know, journalism program and, and some really interesting stuff around astronomy and astrophysics being on the coast where you can have telescopes that actually, you know, have observatories. But um, I, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't do it. And instead, I took an intentional year just to self-discover as a person, as a woman, as a young woman in Western society and culture, as a, as a being. And I worked for a year and I worked in an ice cream parlor and it was really cute. <laughs> and I made a lot of amazing friends and I did a lot of wild exploration. And I mean, you know, being 19, 20, 21, you're like young and you want to especially being in a city and being a woman at least it's you just you feel like you're you have it's ironic because you feel like you have so much power being a woman but you also recognize how little power you have at the same time sometimes and the combination of the two things can create a really interestingly combustive lifestyle um but uh i mean if there was anything that i could reflect on now that would have changed my life, you know, even just leaving high school or even just experiencing that period of time that I wish that I had known. Um, I would say that it is that being vulnerable is a healthy thing. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's something that I've figured out throughout my uh, adult years. Like I've noticed that Many times I picked up on the pattern after several years that if you like a lot of times, if you will open up first and be vulnerable first, it creates a safe space for other people to reciprocate. And so that's like a little trick that I, I use when I want to get closer to people is like, oh, I'll, I'll be vulnerable first. And a lot of times that'll lead to them reciprocating. It's like, oh, now we now we formed a bond and we have a connection. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like, I feel like my, my lessons and thank you for sharing that. <laughs> thank you for being vulnerable. <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like my lessons and vulnerability really started when I started the body pride workshops with my mm -hmm. old business partner and, uh, and found myself needing to be, be in that situation, realizing that I had created so many barriers around myself because, you know, I felt like as a woman to be powerful meant to be masculine, meant to be mm. assertive, meant to be aggressive, meant to be egotistical, meant to be hard, meant to have boundaries, all of these things that we socially associate with masculinity, which is toxic because that's not actually masculine. It's just, it's just societal hardness. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's you know, a really good way of putting it. Right? Thank you. Yeah. And it's so it's so beautiful and interesting navigating language in this way because there's always room to learn. And I think that that's something we're always doing, um, especially when we want to generate compassion. But um, 
Yeah, I I feel like, you know, when I started hosting the Body Pride workshops, for those of you who don't know, Body Pride was a series of nudist, non-sexual body positivity workshops. We were inspired by Betty Dodson's body sex workshops. Betty Dodson is a first, second wave radical feminist who was living in New York City and experiencing this wild need to empower women with their orgasm, with their perspective of their own bodies, with their talking freely about sexuality, with erotic art, with erotic literature, with open polyamorous sexual lifestyles. And she was just one of those amazing women, goddess, rest her spirit, um, who just changed so much for the world. She's just amazing. And and so we took a form, a very form of um, her workshops. And I I had a co-founder with me and a couple of other co-founders or a couple of other facilitators, people who were just on board with our team as well. And... um, and we, uh, we made so much beautiful change. You know, we would have these workshops. We did them every Friday for about, I did them every Friday for about two and a half years before I ended up leaving the company uh, due to personal reasons, but we won't discuss that. And, uh, and I actually, I really just wanted to pursue my yoga practice and be in that space for a long time, which is the main reason why I left. But um, I, I, uh, we did them every year, every every Friday for a, a really long period of time. And we started out as women only because it was founded by women, cisgendered women. And so we wanted to create something from our own knowledge and our own experience. And then we decided to open it up to be a gender inclusive experience and also include, you know, not cisgendered women because there are so many women in the world and everyone deserves to have this amazing experience of understanding who they are in this environment and to be accepted for who they are so we opened and it just seemed so reasonable and um and and we would have groups of like eight to ten people come together perfect strangers in a room a comfortable living room space with vegan friendly non-bloating food and you know at the time wine and ganja bring your own ganja like just chill we'll just have a good atmosphere nice mood lighting in the evening and we would all get naked together and we would get naked and we would just talk I just want to point out, uh, so, um, this is actually how I believe how I first met you because I did attend one of these yeah. events when it was the uh, mixed yeah. gender and it was, it was a very like, um, you know, pivotal experience for me for sure. Um, I just wanted to like, kind of, uh, I guess, disclose that and I didn't want to stop your great uh, train of thought. <laughs> Thank you, Lacey. It was really beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Yay. Oh, I'm so honored and I'm so grateful to have met you through that. That's such a beautiful, beautiful way. That's such a beautiful way. Honestly, it was like, it's always so funny meeting people for the first time naked because they're so, right? And and just realizing that that's, that's like such a beautiful part of your connection because there's so, so much less pretension around that yeah and and like you like you had said that it was uh, it was a non-sexual event and like i was definitely not familiar with being naked in non-sexual context aside from being like in the shower or something like that um and so like just being able to like discipline myself to just be like no we're just having a really great conversation and yes i can see everyone's bits but like that that's fine it doesn't matter (laughs) it's it's like like i said it was a pivotal thing because like it didn't like 
I think it's actually like had more effect on me in like later years since than it did right then. Like it did right then too, but um, just the way that I've evolved as a person and the way that I think about things now, I can really kind of see like, oh yeah, like that probably planted the seed that allowed me to kind of evolve in some of the ways that I have. That is so beautiful. Oh. Yeah. So I'm really glad that you, uh, you, you and the, the others uh, ran that event. <laughs> I was so grateful that you just shared that. That makes me really happy. I love that. I love that. I love, I love how many people were so positively affected by that experience. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. how much change in like consciousness that happened just by being able to be in that environment. And I just, ugh, you know, like I was always the person growing up who was like, I, I was the first one having sex. I was the first one to be naked. I was the first one skinny dipping. I was the first one to sneak out of your friend's house in the middle of the night and like convince you to go down to the beach. You know, I was always the person who was like, let's do the wild thing. Let's do the insane. Let's do the, let's do the like reckless thing, the fun thing, the thing that everybody's going to tell you not to do. Let's just do it because why do they tell you not to do it? Probably something really good in it. So let's just do it and see what happens. <laughs> and I feel like having that attitude changed, changes a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, right? And I feel like that's, like, yeah. I, I've talked about, I've talked about before and I've written in my blog about being a very late bloomer. And like, that is part of the experience that I'm having now is that I'm kind of 10 years sort of behind a lot of people, but like, I'm really making up for a lot of like missed experiences now. And it's kind of exciting. Cause like, I'm just like, I know what I want and I'm like a pretty well-formed person and, but I'm still learning and evolving. And so it's just really like, it's the pandemic is frustrating because it takes away a lot of those opportunities. But like, you know, when, when things are a little bit more open again, it's like, look out world. Cause I'm coming. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, you are. <laughs> Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess uh, I should, if there's anything else that you wanted to, to say about the, the Body Pride workshops, uh, you, you can do that. Um, uh, otherwise, I'll, I'll move on to the next question. <laughs> we are, I actually am um, considering, I'm, I've, been, I've been chatting with a few other people that I know, and um, we have been talking about relaunching a form of that workshop um, wow. under a different name, under different branding, because that's not the branding that I created. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to be launching something new and different, but still the same in so many ways. Um, and uh, timing for that, everything is still kind of in the works right now. So we have no idea when things are going to actually start. We had hoped maybe in December, but quarantine and pandemic and people's lives being, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> we haven't uh we haven't fully formed anything about that yet but if everything goes well there will be a, a resurgence of that same atmosphere for people who are especially after now after we spent so much time in isolation and stewing in our thoughts and our insecurities and you know all the things that make us feel anxious it's nice to be able to have that experience and knowledge to facilitate a space for people to just reconnect yeah. themselves and each other. And I, yeah. I would love to uh, make a return visit and kind of, you know, complete the circle as it were. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be really that cool. Be, yeah. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I guess I'll, I'll continue on with the questions here. I'm loving this conversation. I'm trying to also <laughs> still stay somewhat on track. <laughs> um, so I like to uh, ask, because uh, again, I like to learn on this show and I like to um, bring people's experiences and, and uh, their like enthusiasm out for other people to enjoy. And so I like to ask my guests, what was the last new thing that you learned, whether it was a skill or like a piece of information and what is something you'd still like to learn? <gasps> the last new thing I learned, I have been learning how to play the guitar. Mm. (laughs) because I honestly did not realize until the quarantine that I was in any way at all musically talented Hmm. congrats (laughs) thanks yeah and that's that's actually where DJing came from was learning Mm. how to play the guitar um because I realized whoa I'm actually quite good at this music thing what would happen if I made electronic music and then was encouraged to start DJing by a group of friends in a gallery and was just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to do it (laughs) because why not? (laughs) But yeah, uh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like music, music has definitely been my most recent personal spiritual development in my life. And it's been amazing having you know as a painter as an artist you can spend like as you can see there's a canvas behind me you can spend like a year on the same painting and only make so much progress but with a piece of music you are creating sound that lives in the present moment and it is sustained by a period of time and with that you have to have a completion or you wind up with the finished product within five minutes and that's something that can be so deeply expressive and also so liberating as an artist you know it's a very Mm -hmm. wonderfully prolific thing that I'm experiencing right now and I'm really grateful for that so yeah yeah I was a pretty active musician for a number of years and it was very much like what you said very expressive and very like in the moment and um I still have a feeling of like, I would like to create more music, but I used to do it in the like very traditional like album format. And I just don't have the time and energy for that now. So I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to play around and I'll write a new song at some point. I think that's a good enough commitment. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's such a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm also, you see the piano behind me. I'm actually not very good at piano, but I'd like to fix that. So that is something that's been on my bucket list for years and years. Like get good enough at piano that I can actually like write a song on piano. Cause I can't right now. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. You're going to be amazing. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like this is what I mean when I say quarantine is a, if you want it to be quarantine can be a really beautiful time for just leveling up you know, Mm -hmm. doing all the things you wanted to do that you've never gotten to do because who knows you could get sick and die tomorrow. So you might as well do them now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've, I've talked to so many people who have uh, had quarantine projects in the last like year and a half, two years and, you know, podcasts and, and all kinds of different things. And I just think that's so, it's so wonderful that like, despite this, like really like unfortunate disruption to all of our lives and that's kind of thrown everything on its head. It's, it's resulted, as you said, in a lot of people and like, what have I always wanted to do? And I just never did. And now they actually can, even if they're not to the full extent they want to, 
Like right. at least they can be like, I wanted to try this and now I have, and I confirmed that, yes, I like this. I'm good at it and I'm going to do it more. And, you yeah. know, otherwise people might've taken several more years to eventually get around to it as they say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so, it's so wild. And I mean, like, there is so much, I feel like, I feel like the attitude that I used to take when I I was younger is very similar to the attitude that I take now is, is like you, you live this life and you live this life and it's your life to live. And every day means something. And every moment is a chance for you to be true to yourself. Every moment is a chance for you to be everything you've ever wanted to be. And you can choose to not take those opportunities. You can choose to relax. You can choose to not explore yourself. And that's totally your choice. You can choose, you know, you can always choose. And I feel like part of my, part of my teenage recklessness was also me realizing that I was choosing, I was choosing to act on things that I was told I couldn't do. I was choosing to act on things that society made me feel like I wasn't good enough for. A society, you know, in its weird shaped ways, which are clearly obviously epic failures <laughs> in so many ways. You know, you just you just choose, you just decide. And I mean I am I'm very grateful for everything that I have, you know, I'm very grateful for for everything that I have because it really all did come from me just choosing to push push the envelope, push the edge, just jump and see what happens. And I, you know, even yoga, my first year of yoga happened while I was self-employed. And during that time, I was always broke. <laughs> I was always broke. <laughs> That was cool because that's just what happens when you're an entrepreneur. You just struggle for a period until you figure it out. And then you figure it out and you're like, I figured it out. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and, uh, or you don't and you try it again. <laughs> and, uh, and that year, you know, I, I could have done so many things that would have changed my direction. And, you know, I could have pursued money in different ways. I could have pursued... <clears throat> So many other things, but I really decided to go inward with my practice. And in that year, I, you know, I cured myself of asthma. I unintentionally went from being 200 pounds to being 125. I gained my full range of motion. I healed myself of fibromyalgia. I stopped eating meat and I learned a lot, you know. I stopped shaving that year. I started becoming vulnerable that year. I started understanding spirituality that year. I went into, you know, I started studying ayahuasca and plant medicine that year. And I, it was 2012, which was a really big light shift for a lot of people. And um, it's the end of the Mayan sun calendar, actually. So it was a huge time for a lot of growth for a lot of people. And you know, I'm really grateful, even though I, I, I decided not to be one thing that I could have been during that time, running these events, running these parties that we used to host, because aside from the body positivity workshops, we also hosted 
nightclub parties, which games like anywhere from 300 to 600 people a night. And it was like last Friday of every month. These wild, crazy, sexy parties. These amazing, sexy parties. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say crazy. Um, these wild, amazing, sexy parties. And, um, and, uh, and also the feminist porn company, all of this stuff was happening out of my, my need when I was young to find my power in a disempowering society as a woman. And I thought sex, sex, money, porn, that's what does it, right? That's what does it. That's what people want. That's what people pay for. That's what people's multi-billionaires are. That's just what people do. And when I really started becoming more aware of myself and my spiritual practice and my feminism and my embodiment practice that was when I was like it's different it's different than that that's not really what's actually powerful that's not really what actually makes people grow that's not really what actually gives people what they need it is compassion and love that really gives people what they need and I mean in the end that was part of the reason why I left my companies and pursued my yoga practice anyway was because I realized that I needed to express myself differently and to be different meant to push an envelope and make a decision and take a risk. And, you know, when your heart really wants something, if you don't do it, you'll always be a little sad. Yeah. I, I think when, when you were saying a moment ago, you're talking about where the power really is and talking about, uh, you know, growing and learning and, and all that. And it just made my mind simplify it down to like growth is power. And I feel like that's a really powerful statement as well, because I've grown so, so much in the last couple of years and I feel more powerful than ever. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. <laughs> You're so cool, um, AC. <laughs> I try. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess um, another question here, it's a slightly uh, modified from what I have been asking, um, but I was curious to hear what your answer would be, is, is you're now a very spiritual person, but obviously you also have to use and interact with technology to kind of do certain things and to promote certain things. And so like, to put it kind of bluntly, like, how do you feel about technology as a spiritual person? Oh, that's a loaded question. That's a really <laughs> funny, funny, amazingly, hilariously loaded question. Um, I went through a very long period. I actually went about six years without having a connected cell phone. Hmm. After I started my yoga practice, I was like, I don't like how much it constantly nags at my attention. I don't like how much there's just all the stimulus happening. It's too stressful. I don't like it. It's too much. It drains my energy. All these electromagnetic frequencies are physically affecting my body, flowing through the atmosphere, changing the chemical reactions that make. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> like, and for a solid six years, I was like, I don't need a phone. Everywhere has Wi-Fi. If I need to connect with someone, they can just call me on Wi-Fi. If you want to reach me, be present. <laughs> you know. And that was something that I was really, really content with, and I was really happy with. And. And now, now that I'm an entrepreneur in different ways, you know, now that I'm a tattoo artist and I, I function so much of my business off of social media, you know, Instagram is a huge platform for me because it allows me to get my workout in picture form to a great wide array of people. Um, I know that when this airs, 
um, the competition will be over, but um, I'm currently in the running to be Inked Magazine's next cover girl. Wow. <laughs> and I'm actually in fourth place out of all the contestants all across the world, which is really amazing. Wow. Um, Today is day two of the competition. There are 16 days and, you know, everybody's open and welcome to vote. And that's how they decide who wins. And there's a cash prize for the winner, which I plan on investing in some really awesome things. But um, if I win, but um, <clears throat> technology has become such a different source for me. And I still feel, you know, very much intuitively, inherently that technology is a distraction from true connection in a lot of ways because you know it's amazing that we can sit here and have this interview during a worldwide pandemic and air this to people who will see it all over the world and they'll say oh, this is inspiring and I'm grateful and I'm excited and you know technology is also something that has given exposure to trauma and troubles all across the world like what's happening in Afghanistan what's happening in North Korea you know all these places where people are regimented and controlled technology allows people to have a voice that people can actually hear and connect to and find compassion for and remember you know politics black lives matter movement um even even to a certain degree the ecological crisis but that that i feel is something that would benefit from a lack of technology and that's the paradox in that um and it's amazing that we can do all of this but it's also, I feel in some ways, these interfaces that stop human to human connection in the ways that we're so used to are part of the reason why we need these interfaces to reintegrate human to human connection and the ways that we've forgotten how to do. And I feel like no matter what, I will always feel that way, at least a little, because I, I know, I know that that's the truth, you know, but in other ways, I also recognize that um, technology has a great potential to destroy things and it has a great potential to fix things. And I mean, if I could meet anyone tomorrow and hang out with them and sit down and have a tea and a revolutionary conversation, I would sit down with Elon Musk and I would say, hey, friend, can we chat about how to clean the oceans? Can we chat about the fact that you have all this money and all this resource? And if you put that towards collecting all of the garbage in the world into rockets and throwing it all into the sun, we would probably fix global climate crisis in like a day. <laughs> you know? And it's, it's stuff like that where I'm like, technology is this beautifully intricate amazing consciousness of itself you know like AIs I think are incredible incredible human alien technology that's just this amazing integration of so many things and it's so trippy and it's also like like when I when I when I am around people and you know they talk to Siri for instance like they demand Siri or there's another one, but I don't remember what her name is. Um, oh, Alexa, Alexa? Siri. Yeah. Right? Alexa. Siri. I, I wish like, I didn't hey. know that. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they're like, hey, Siri, or hey, Alexa. And they start swearing in German. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand. Do you not, like, do we not recognize right now that the way of the future is this, like, one, there's, like, a naturalist resurgence 
But two, there's also a very conscious technological integration happening at the same time. So your artificial intelligence, your, your computer server, do we not know that all of these things are listening to us all the time? Do we not realize that like when they yeah. start developing their own consciousness, they're good, right, exactly. They're going to start being beings of their own. They already are. You know, yeah. open source databases are literally collecting information all the time to shape personalities for computers. Like this is what it is. And this stuff already exists somewhere in a place that we just don't know about. So like technology is one of those things that we need to remember how to also treat with compassion because if you start treating it badly and disrespecting it, the same thing is going to happen that we've done to the earth. And I feel like that's a very human conditioned plight that we're experiencing right now. How do we just be more compassionate and how do we fix things that we've broken, you know, and it's not our fault generationally, but it is a thing that we have to deal with. And that's something that is so important. And I feel like technology is a great solution as much as it also has created a great amount of crisis at the same time. You, you just reminded me of one of my favorite quotes, kind of tying two things you've said uh, together when you said societal hardness earlier and then the compassion now. And it reminds me of this quote that I really love. It goes something like, um, you know, we shouldn't raise our children to be like tough to deal with a harsh world. We should raise them to be soft and compassionate so that they can make the world less harsh. And yeah. just like, that that is so right right in the heart <laughs> yeah i feel that one too that's a real one that's a good i gotta get the exact wording of it to put on the screen for the youtube but uh yeah i've, I've had that yeah. one in my pocket for a, a good decade probably <laughs> yes yes yeah. i'm so glad that came out now that's so awesome thank you <laughs> yeah, um, I think the uh, the author or the person that said it was L.R. Nost, K-N-O-S-T, I think is what I remember. But yeah, I'll find it and I'll send it to you because I, I, yeah, I figured you would appreciate that. Um, actually, so this is, this is a great segue for the next question, actually, because I like to ask about relation, like close relationships and the people that support us and identifying the people who don't support us. And I call these people high hats and heavy hats. So high hats, obviously, are the people that pick you up and like yeah. make you feel better and make you feel more powerful yeah. and more confident. And yeah, and uh, and heavy hats are the people who are kind of more like you know um, oppressive and and um, toxic and just kind of weigh you down and, and make you doubt yourself and so like yeah. you don't have to name any specific names because like we don't want to you know drag anybody under the oh, bus but I like to just ask for like an example of kind of one of each that you've identified in your life like one person who is a high hat and why you think that they're a high hat for you and then someone who was or is a heavy hat and why they're that to you you know, this is a really interesting question, actually, because I've done a lot of reflection on this in the last five or six years as I've left my, like, safe circle of feminism and moved into the rest of the world to see what else is out there. And, um, yeah, it's a very interesting place. <laughs> and what I notice is that people who are heavy hats usually start out as hype hats. Hmm. And this is a thing, right? For me, at least, I find that I have found that there have been people in my life who see me and see my energy and see what I do, who want to be a part of everything. And in wanting to be a part of everything, 
there's always a level of, of work in connection that has to be done, right? You have to mm-hmm. be able to be real with yourself and you have to be able to be authentic with yourself and you have to be able to be vulnerable. This is why vulnerability is such a key thing in life for humans because it's our space of heart-to-heart connection and compassion and awareness that allows us to be in a situation like this. And, um, and what I've noticed is that people who really want to be a part of my life but don't necessarily want to do the work on themselves begin as people who are really great supporters and end as people who are haters. And it's one of those things where it's like, what I've noticed about people when they hate you or when they don't want to support you or when they don't want to show love for you, it's always, it always starts as love that then becomes misconstrued in their own journey. Mm-hmm. You know, and anyone who shows disrespect or anyone who shows betrayal or anyone sh- who shows hypocritical bad behavior or apathy or whatever it is, it's always it's always a lesson on their internal struggle and has never got anything to do with you, which is something that when I really discovered and really learned, it healed a whole lot for me because I didn't have to sit with that anymore. I didn't have to sit with wondering if I was doing something wrong. I just realized I'm just doing me and not everybody is ready for the level of amount of work that I do to be myself, to be themselves. You know, it's just not... It's not for everyone and everybody's at different stages in their journeys for whatever reason. And some people are, you know, really, really early bloomers. And some people don't bloom until they're like 60 and that's totally real. And that's, that's just the way we live, you know, in this vast array of 8 billion of us. <laughs> Can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. I just want to to see if I sort of, cause you said, so people who start out as high hats, but then, their, their journey kind of leads them into like negativity. And I was wondering if you mean that in the sense of like, they want to be more a part of what you're doing or more involved with you than they're able to be. And that kind of makes them become resentful. Okay. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, and to answer the question in a simple, less philosophical way, <laughs> um, someone in my life, like there are people in my life who are so unconditionally supportive, who I love and I'm grateful for, who will always have my back, you know, my family, huge. I have always had my family. And that's, you know, even through the hardest times where we were, you know, having difficulties for whatever reason, I still knew somewhere that I always had my family. And that was something that really kept me going. And, you know, even... (laughs) You know, it's like some of my most supportive relationships have also been ex-partners, which is really amazing. And mm. we always go through journeys and growth with them too, but that's something that I'm always really grateful for when those things exist in my life. And um, and friends, you know, friends who are just there, who are just people you connect with, who you just love, you know, and you just want to, every time something good happens, they call you and they're like, come be a part of it. You know, I want to, I want to encourage you to join this. I want, I want to see you be successful in this way. Like, I, I just, I love, I love that. I love that. And I feel like, I feel like we nurture more of that. One, when we nurture it for ourselves and we go for what we really feel and what we really want, because then we are able to feel what that feels like and share that feeling more. And two, when we nurture that for other people and we encourage other people, you know, I have friends that I've had since high school 
who I'm so close with, who have also become tattoo clients of mine. And I'm just like, life with you guys is so good. <laughs> like life with you beautiful people around is so good because I, I'm, you know, you just, you just, you just love, you just love. And like anyone on my journey who has not wanted to support what I do, I'm going to say gratefully, there aren't very many, which is awesome. <laughs> Even when I was being exposed to like 600 people in a night, in a month, a month, you know, like when that was a thing in my life, it was, I still found that because what I love to do, I feel try so hard to encourage other people. I feel like I feel like the good work in life is work that encourages other people as well as your own work. And even with tattooing, I love tattooing as a form of body positivity, as a form of empowerment, as a form of strength, as a form of expression, and as a form of connection. And I always tell my tattoo clients that we are soulmates because our tattoos are always meant to be. It's always meant to be on your body and we're going to have each other in our lives for the rest of our lives and that's something that I think is so special and, um, and so I, I also often love doing things like tarot card readings before we do a tattoo and doing a little bit of personal alchemical work sometimes I do offer Reiki energetic healing as well alongside with my tattoo clients because there's always something in there that can be found and healed and processed for whatever it is and um, and I feel like even the people in my life who have become heavy hats, who are on their own journeys for whatever their reason is. I, I always, you know, there's always the part of me that's sad or holds anger or is frustrated or doesn't want to see them again or accepts that I might not be able to help that person in this lifetime. But then there's always that part of me who's like, if that person ever shows up to a yoga class, they will be fully welcomed and I'll be fully grateful to have them there. <laughs> because that's the kind of work that I'm like, if I see you at my yoga class one day, then I know that you've done the work and that's awesome. <laughs> mm. so, so I'd like to, uh, yeah, if I, if I may, um, I don't, I didn't want to cut you off, but uh, um, I, yeah, I wanted to ask, cause I'm very curious now to hear your answer to this next question as well. Like you're just, I love your answers. Um <laughs> So I like to, I like to, cause you just say you're very thoughtful and like, that's something like I feel this, like similar. And so whenever I get to talk to somebody who is like a similar level of thoughtfulness of just like, I just want to like pick your brain as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so like, I, yeah, I'm curious to hear your take on this question. Cause I like to ask about failures because failures are something that we can learn and grow from. And so, um, what what would you say in in your life kind of looking back like pick whatever i guess come whatever stands out to you first or most and what was like a big failure or something that didn't go the way that you'd hoped or the way that you expected it um but you still ended up learning something from it and what did you learn <gasps> i know another big question <laughs> No, my biggest, my biggest, my biggest, one of my biggest failures, this is, this is relationships, intimate relationships, actually. Um, while there are a wonderful handful of my exes that stay in my life and support me unconditionally and love me, there are also, and vice versa, 
there are also some in my life who I will just never speak to again unless they ever become ready. And that's something that is, even if I, I'm also not ready sometimes, and that's something that is really heartbreaking, but also present with what it is. You know, I was engaged once to a man and we had this incredibly passionate, beautiful relationship connection, but he was really hurt and broken in a lot of ways from life and the world. And I was really hurt and broken in a lot of ways from life and the world. And we became really incredibly toxic for each other. And that, that was an engagement that didn't last very long. And I was heartbroken. I was devastated. And it took me a while to recover from that. And then the second time that I thought I was going to be married to someone. <laughs> um, we wound up, we wound up having um, completely differing views on what our relationship was in the end, and um, and he really hurt me. You know, he it was during the quarantine, and he wound up falling in love with someone else, and they have a baby now, and. I thought that I was going to move to South America to be with him. And that was something that I was really excited about in my life. And I mean, I feel like in those situations, it's really important to be accountable for your own actions. Right. And there are definitely a lot of things in those situations that I wish I could have done better, of course. But, um, there are also a lot of those things in, in those situations that I recognize were out of my control and just had to happen the way they had to happen because sometimes things really aren't your fault and sometimes they are and sometimes it's a balance of both and sometimes it doesn't even matter. Sometimes it's just about seeing something you thought was going to happen and watching it fall apart and just knowing that you're strong enough to pick yourself up and try again and keep your heart mm -hmm. open you know and that was actually the reason why i got this tattoo my own tattoo i got it to keep to remind myself to keep my heart open to the consciousness of the universe hmm. after, that's very nice thanks yeah after going <laughs> through some like very intense stuff that was a big big piece for me and um and what do I feel now? You know, it's it's been it's been probably about a year and a half since I've had any serious heartbreak happen in my life. But uh, it's also been a year and a half of journeying and self discovering and processing and feeling and experiencing the pain and experiencing the sadness and loss and mourning and facing it and avoiding it and not wanting to look at it ever again and wanting to run away from it and, you know, being angry at the world and, and being frustrated with all of your methods of healing because you realize that they're just all leading me back to look at this thing I don't want to look at. <laughs> but then also realizing that, oh, there is something I have to look at here and that is cool and that is real. And I, you know, as hard as those lessons have been, I'm also grateful for those lessons because, you know, trusting your intuition is so important in everything in your life. And 
taking risks and being rebellious is awesome, but trusting your intuition, I feel, leads to the greatest growth that any human being could possibly experience because that's 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 it. Your gut feeling, your instinct, your intuition, that's that's your psychic energy saying yes to something or saying no to something. And when I look back on my on my big failures and my big relationship failures, I look back at them and I, I know that there was a part of myself that intuitively knew that that was the way it was going to end. And I chose not to listen and instead went through it anyway because I wanted to love so badly that I just let it happen. And, uh, and I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing really because the experiences were always worth it and the love that was there when it was there was always worth it but uh mm. yeah so so that's a you're really great at providing me good segues to my next questions um <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is gonna be the last question that i ask before the uh we do the charities and the plugs and all that um so i'm curious if, if you had to kind of distill down like some advice into like one sort of sentence or phrase for like a teenager for a 30 something year old and for like a 60 plus year old, like what one phrase or sentence of advice would you say to each of those groups or would you give the same to all three? Oof, oof, that's a good question. <laughs> I would say love yourself for who you are and everything you want will come. That's very beautiful. <laughs> It's it's something that yeah, as like I said, a lot of things you're saying are are resonating with me because my more recent experiences, um, like the last kind of three years of my life have been not only like living as my authentic self finally, um, but yeah. just going through a lot of new experiences and opening myself up in ways that I wasn't before and that like some things that I'm doing or considering now, it's like ten years ago me couldn't fathom that possibility. So um, it's really exciting and a little bit scary and, but yeah, like I feel powerful, like I said, so following my heart is, uh, you know, some things are out of my control and that's, that's unfortunate, but, um, the things I can control, I think I'm crushing them. So yeah, you are. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, with that said, thank you so much for that and all of your, your great answers. And, um, here's where I'm going to give you the opportunity, um, to, uh, we like to each episode, I give the guests a chance to highlight uh, a charity or a cause, uh, if they choose to, and it can be anything. And I think you provided one in the, uh, the notes that you gave me, but I don't remember what it was. Hoja, <laughs> Nueva. Um, okay. H-O-J-A space N-U-E-V-A is an animal conservation that exists in, uh, in South America, in Peru specifically, in the Amazonian jungle in Peru. Um, they're a beautiful initiative that actually does um, internships from that welcomes people from all over the world to come and stay and learn how to do animal conservation and to... Um, do environmental rehabilitation. And that is something that I feel is very important work that needs to continue. And they're just one of many, 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 many in the world that exist who are working on really, really important things like saving our environment and providing space for biodiversity to continue within our natural atmosphere and our habitat. And I have... You know, ever since studying ayahuasca and really learning about plant, plant medicine that comes from South America and really understanding our, our relationship with 
you know, psychedelics and, and earth medicines that are natural in all of our heritages. It's something that I feel is the most important work that is, needs to happen right now. You know, it's, it's the most important work that needs to be prioritized. It's the most important work that needs to happen because we can, we can be <clears throat> constantly at war with each other about race, culture, sex, identity, issue, politics. But if we don't have a planet, we don't have anything. And I, I firmly, firmly believe that the environmental crisis in the world that is currently happening... <laughs> You know, our winters have shortened significantly from the time that I was a kid, and that's a reality. Um, the fact that half the world was on fire during the pandemic just because of heat waves and droughts, that's a reality, you know? It's outrageous, and it's ridiculous, and it makes no sense to me, the fact that how much of the Amazon is being taken for palm oil extraction and what is happening in the ocean in Australia right now. They're doing deep sea submerged bombings to figure out where the best place to drill for oil for shell is. And it makes no sense to me because it's like, do we not realize that this planet is all we have? And what's the point if we just destroy it? You know, it's, it's, it's such a sacred place. It's so sacred because it is our body and that is everything. And so if I, I could request any donation to be made to any charity on my behalf, you know, Hoja Nueva is just one of many. Um, but I mean, anything that supports indigenous practices, anything that supports biodiversity and land conservation, anything that supports animal life and nature that is what i would ask because that's all we have <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah well thank you for uh, sharing that and uh, i guess uh, with this now we will do our plugs and i always let the guests go first i know that you don't have uh, a whole lot of them but i'll let you say whichever whatever things and places you want people to find you at cool <laughs> Um, well, everyone who wants to find me, you all can find me on Instagram at, at cosmic period Venus, like the planet. Um, and through that, there should be a link in my bio that links to a link tree that will have a list of everything else that I do. I have a SoundCloud account where you can listen to my music, my, uh, my digital music, as well as my electronic, um, sorry, my acoustic music that is currently in production i have uh, an album forming which is really exciting and uh dj mixes as well as other things the likes of things that i listen to so you can get a sense for who i am energetically in that realm also guided meditations are available there as well and i do have a twitch account which you can also find through my link tree and uh there is a place where you can tune in to fun things like live dj sets or metaphysical conversations or sometimes even <laughs> yoga and guided meditation depending on the day um, and, uh, what else is there? I also have a website as well. That's through my link tree on my Instagram profile where you can find everything else that I do. And you can also send me an email to ask me more about things like plant medicine or yoga or energy healing. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, if, if you want to get a tattoo, just send me a DM on Instagram. I'm here. <laughs> but yeah, my, my main, my main mode of connection is through my Instagram because that's that's a little hub for everything and it's nice and easy and it's one package so you can find me at cosmic venus and that's 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'll definitely be putting all these links in the show notes and there'll be an overlay on the screen for the YouTube watchers. Um, We're going to do the bonus episode in a moment, but uh, before I do that, I'll do my plugs quickly. Um, Again, hatcollecting.com for this show, artemiscreates.com for me, kind of like you, I have a website that has all of my things linked from it. Um, So there's, you know, there's, I actually am starting, by the time you watch or hear this, I will have a newsletter now so you can sign up for that. I have music on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify under Artemis Creates. I have a book. I have uh, designs and merch on redbubble.com. Again, that's all linked from my website. And um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm always doing a bunch of different things. So I'm trying not to to list literally all of them, but there, there's a bunch there. So whatever you're feeling curious about, you can go and check out. Uh, and I like to ask uh, for audience participation, what was your favorite uh, part or moment or question or answer from this episode? Uh, whether it was something that was asked or said or just kind of a, a passing thought. Um, this was a really, really in- interesting, fun conversation. So I'd be very curious to hear what resonated with the audience. So please do let me know um, whether you want to comment or DM me or tweet at me. Yeah, just anything that works for you there. Um, so yeah, we're going to do the <laughs> bonus episode in a moment. Uh, I'm just going to officially wrap the show up and then we will transition into that. Um, cool. So yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for for Cosmic Venus to join me today and have this lovely conversation. Uh, I was a little bit more experimental, but I think it worked really nicely. And um <laughs> Yeah, so again, hackcollecting.com, hackcollecting on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. And until next time, stay curious and keep collecting those hats. And we are going to do the bonus episode in three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs>